Welcome to the podcast, Entrepreneur Perspectives, introspective podcast conversations helping build and protect your business one podcast at a time, a cast source production. In this episode, I chat with Bob Regnerist, author of the book, The Ultimate Guide to Facebook Advertising. This episode exists because of CadSource. CadSource is your content team. You know how many business leaders need help communicating their story? That's what we do. Content strategy, creation, and distribution for business leaders. This provides opportunities, relationships, and a platform for you and your business. Why do we do this? Because at CadSource, we exist to help you create and share amazing content. And yes, you should have a podcast. We'll help you. Learn more by visiting kezcontent.com. When his team reached out to be on the podcast, I saw it as an opportunity to further my learning on Facebook advertising and of those we work with and those that listen and read our content. Chatting with Bob also gives us the chance to get under the hood of how specialists behind Facebook advertising think about Facebook, privacy, and content. Through research beforehand, I was able to learn a good bit about Bob through Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Bob is not only an entrepreneur, he's a leader on the court as well, serving as a high school basketball coach. That sports connection allows us a great starting point to this introspective conversation. We now welcome Bob Regnerus. I was researching and just kind of like checking around social media and came across your Twitter profile connected with you there. And you had, I think, made a comment on a post talking about Doc Emmerich and what's the one call he would want back. And he went oh. back to that game seven because I was watching it. And for a second, you're like, why is Kane so... Ex- like, what just happened? Like, no one knew what happened. It was the weirdest thing you- I've seen. You did not get to celebrate because you didn't know what happened. Yeah. It's probably one of the weirdest championship moments in history. Yes. And yeah, I mean, Doc Emmerich is just fantastic. Eddie Olchek obviously is a Blackhawk announcer too, but I miss Doc because he can weave a story and I just love him. And Vince Scully is the other one. I just love Vince Scully doing a game. It's almost just like hypnotic. It's like meditation. That's what it's all about. Yeah. When you watch sports and... It's not just the game, it's everything that's going around it. And during this pandemic, it, the storytelling becomes even more important because you don't have the fans. And then you hear these guys talk about it, even if it's a Joe Buck who's calling so many big games, like you sometimes have to let the crowd call the game for you. You can't interrupt the moment. But that situation was just because I don't know really who saw it, right? There's maybe where there are a few people, a few fans behind it, you see their reaction. But that's just like of all the times for that to take place. But going back on it, you remember it, if nothing else. Yeah, obviously it was a big deal for us. But yeah, Kane was the only one that really did it. And then a couple other guys went after it. Yep. He said he and the goalie were the only two that knew it went in. Yeah, so that was bizarre. The Buffalo kid right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's something else. He's something else. But they had uh, quite a run. If he's not the greatest American-born hockey player, I don't know who is. I mean, Brett Bobby Hall or... Yeah. And yeah, Patrick Kane is just otherworldly. Yeah. Just amazing. Well, especially the time he did it in and the excitement that he played with in the modern day or plays with, I should say. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So it's cool because there's so many different ways to connect. I mean, you all reach out because of the podcast and we'll just keep rolling from here. There's conversations to be had And there's so many new ways to have these conversations. And it can start because you make a comment or reply to a comment that's out there about some interesting moment in sports history, which I guess it's history now. Maybe it's more current day event type stuff. But then you can have a conversation and it just leads into so many other things. And then you look and it's like, okay, we have a podcast and 
Bob wants to come talk to us. We have Perry Marshall, who obviously you know very well, and he was on the podcast not that long ago. And it's fascinating because I told him I read his book, The 80-20 Principle. And I was like, this is a great book. And I knew about the 80-20, but he kind of took it and there's an 80-20 inside of everything. And I'd had it. And then I get this email and it's like, wait a second, I got to go check my Kindle library, pull it up. I'm like, this is the Perry Marshall. Like, he wants to be on the podcast. Yeah, like, let's do this. And next thing you know, you're looking and you're like, wow, man, content works, marketing works, just being genuine and having these conversations. And it's like, where does that lead to? And then we're talking to you and you guys give great topics of things that we can talk about and obviously Facebook advertising and all of that. And I'm going through it and I see that Patrick Kane comment and well, that's interesting. And then it's like, well, he's also a basketball coach. And we have this whole platform called Sportsypreneur. We collide sports and entrepreneurship. And a lot of it gets into mindset and mental health and habits and life after sports and people who are fascinated by sports and how they can apply it to their business or their life and all these things. And from a, almost not a journalist, but almost in a like, hey, let's just think through these topics. And then here we are, we're talking to someone who's a high school basketball coach. You're involved in youth sports and it's something I have three kids. I think about it a lot. And it's just, we're in an interesting place in youth sports. So, I mean, we're going to bounce around here. And so it's awesome to chat with you, Bob, and have these types of conversations. Well, I wasn't aware of that connection. So we're going to have some amazing energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sports. I mean, obviously I have to go to practice in uh, a few hours. So I just get ready for practice in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I work all day. Yeah. But... Yeah, Definitely I mean, it, it's such a gift. We didn't think we'd have a season. January 27th, we got word from the state of Illinois saying, hey, you guys could play. Typically, we start early November, run through mid-February. And they literally said, hey, you guys could start. We had practice the next day and we have a six-week season. So basketball season is usually a marathon. This year, it's a sprint. So we're just soaking it all in and doing as much we can. It's so great for the kids. Like, I'm fine. I can do without it. But I coach 15, 16 year olds, high school sophomores. For them not to have sports is like, it's a travesty. Because what sports does for somebody at that age, I know what it did for me, learning responsibility, learning to be part of a team, becoming a leader, becoming a follower, (laughs) wins and losses and how to deal with adversity. Like, I I mean, I've been involved in coaching since I was 16 years old. I loved it so much in high school. I started coaching while I was in high school. And I have been coaching every year for 35 years. Yeah. So Charlotte Christian High School. So this is sophomores, juniors. Yeah, Chicago Christian High School. It's my alma mater. I coach high school sophomore boys. So I have coached from five-year-olds up to 18-year-olds men and women, girls and boys yeah, all over the place. So yeah. coaching's in my blood. That's what I do on the hard floor. Yeah. It's what I do in business. Yeah, That's just yeah. my default mode is to help people become the best they can be. Yeah. It's amazing the parallels that it becomes obvious when you talk to someone and it's like two minutes into even looking through your social media, I can draw these connections like, well, there he is talking to the kids. There he is talking to people at a (laughs) seminar he might be doing or a book that he's writing. And these things don't go too far away from that. And clearly that's what you're doing as well. It was funny. uh, A couple of years ago, I did a workshop. Well, again, Perry and I co-hosted it, but I did 90% of the content. Perry's the name that got people in the room, but we put 12 business owners in a room and it was a a workshop where they basically came and opened up their Facebook accounts. And I just kind of went to the front of the room and I was just rattling through each account, kind of help, here's something you could do, here's something you could do. And Perry kind of 
afterward, he's like, Bob, he's like, you're on the hard court here. I saw you coaching that basketball game. He's like, you just walked onto a different court. He goes, you <laughs> yeah. just, it's like you don't change. So that meant a lot to me because you know, that's kind of the way I approach things. When I work with a client, I'm not trying to selfishly gain something for myself. I mean, yeah, I'm getting paid, but ultimately my whole goal is to make them better. And so when I'm with my athletes, when I'm with my clients, like my whole goal is let's get you better. Let's move you closer to what you want to be doing. So I mean, the parallels are right there. But again, it's just kind of the way you're wired. And I realized it, fortunately, at an early age, like, hey, you're kind of a coach. And a lot of people say, hey, you just never take the coaching hat off. And I just don't. Yeah. There's a consistency in that, right? Because the players, they know what they can expect. Your team, your clients or potential clients, they have... There's this consistent... We talk about a lot in our marketing company is... There's a consistent approach, whether you hear me on a podcast, talk to me on the phone, have in a meeting, read a blog post, all of these things, there's a consistent style to it. If you talk to someone on my team, that consistent style should still be there. And it should be the real thing of what you're talking about. It doesn't mean you can improve upon things, right? And so I'm sure like you as a 15, 16 year old, you're a different coach today than you were then. But the philosophy, the thesis might still be there, but it, there's a lot of growth that you've gone through, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess I was much more emotional when I'm younger. But then again, even this season, I caught myself a couple times being like overly emotional, either like angry <laughs> at a play or just amazed at a play. So I guess it just runs through me. So, but yeah, I've definitely matured. I have a different outlook on things and that comes with perspective, becoming a parent and all those things. You learn different things and uh, you, know, you take different things different ways. But yeah, it's, it's done a lot for me. I like how you said like you had this awareness about how you caught yourself doing this. Because I think a lot of times people will read a book, consume content, and they're hearing the author, the speaker, whatever it is, and like they've got it all figured out. And a lot of people are, they're doing the best that they can and they, you get teed up. I shouldn't have done that. I made a mistake. I was overly emotional. I yelled at the yeah. team. But it's like yeah. the awareness that I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have let myself go there. Why did I do that? And then you go yeah. back and think through it and you continue to work at it. Yeah, I learned that as a parent. One good thing that my parents passed on to me was they would admit when they like, you know, we made a mistake. And I do that with my team too. Uh, I did it last weekend. I said, hey, I made a mistake. It was a little thing, but I said, you know, I should have done this different. So uh, to me, humility is just kind of being, I think, a good leader is like, just, hey, I was short because I'm always obviously not criticizing them, but I'm coaching them like, hey, we need to improve on this. You did this well, but this is what we got to work on. I do the same thing with myself. I'll admit to my team, I'll, I'll admit to my clients, you know, hey, we could have done this better. This is where I fell short and this is how I'm going to improve. And I mean, that's kind of what you do in life is like, hey, you know, I made a mistake here. I'm human. Here's what I'm going to do to correct that and see if I can do better next time. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of pivoting going on, right? We're in a marketplace that is changing a lot. If you have social media, I've told a lot of people like, we can have a conversation about Facebook that Facebook algorithm or something along those lines could have changed while we were speaking. And it probably did. And it's constantly... And sometimes it's a major change and they announce it. And sometimes you had no idea that it's changing. And the way behaviors are changing and the way people are adjusting. We have an insurance business. And it was like, well, when I started creating content, they're like, well, you can't do that. You're in the insurance business. Well, now those people are the people coming to us and say, we need to tell our story. We need to create a process. We need to stop talking about this. We need to be real to our audience. And it's fascinating in so many ways because you're having to pivot. You're having to learn these lessons. And you have the book, Facebook Advertising, right? Right behind you. And 
the thing is that Facebook advertising has changed drastically. Or like there was a time you can go in there and you could target like everything, anything. Yes. And yeah, it was amazing what you could do. And it would be very cheap. But now it's like those things are taken off because there's a lot of privacy and they're like, well, that's not good. And you can't do that. And and who knows all the stuff behind the scenes. And so you've lived it. So it's like I've seen people who have tied themselves to say Instagram. I'm the Instagram influencer. Well, until Instagram changed everything and maybe you're not anymore. So how has that played out for you as you've been doing this for a while? I think you're on what the fourth edition of your book and you've obviously had to have different editions because the rules behind you at Facebook are constantly changing, which is great for the people that can keep up with it. But it's also very difficult to pivot and to say, well, I was really good at this. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not the rules anymore. Yeah. So I'll draw a parallel and let's draw a parallel to sports. So basketball, the game, has fundamentally remained unchanged since it was developed by Naismith. The ball still goes in the basket, but think of the innovations and the way the game has changed. We have the three-point line. We have shot clocks, not in high school, but college and NBA. Players are bigger and faster. Size is not as much valued, although size is always good, but it's more about speed right, and skill. So I've seen the game change in the in the 30 plus years that I've coached, the way we kind of approach things from an offensive and defensive perspective, okay? But fundamentally, it hasn't changed. Same is true with advertising. Now, the fundamentals of advertising really haven't changed since advertising has been developed. It's put an offer, right? Get a response. The mediums have changed quite a bit, and the media itself changes. So yeah, Facebook... Used to be this, like, it was a Wild West. But think of any media that starts out. It's Wild West. You get the people like us who are entrepreneurs who go, there's a new media. Boom, they go in and they get massive success because they have the fundamentals, right? We understand the idea of we need to find the good audience, all right? We need to have the right timing. We need to have the right offer. Those fundamentals haven't changed. So when you approach writing a book on Facebook advertising, you go in going, I know... All the screenshots and all the things that are tactical are going to change. That's why we made an intention, Perry and I, as we put together this book, was let's make this fundamental. So there are strategies that are in this book, which you can go back to version one, which was written in 2010. And the fundamentals in that book are essentially applicable today. So when I wrote this edition, I took it over from the previous co-author, is I felt it was fundamentals. There are things that you could get out of this book that are still going to be true. Like 80% of the book will still be true 10 years from now. That's the key, I think, to a good kind of marketing book. Now, yeah, screenshots are going to change. There's a lot of things that are going to change, but there's fundamentals that carry from season to season. So that's what you have to keep in mind. So part of what you do as an advertiser, as an entrepreneur, is you develop your fundamental skills. And then those skills translate to different things. So yeah, 2020 was big time of being agile and being flexible and pivoting. And I probably would love to eliminate the word pivot from our vocabulary because we heard it so much. Right. But the idea is people who were stuck in tactics and, okay, I'm going to do this one thing, they really had a rough year. Businesses that were built on fundamentals have agility kind of wired in. And it was not easy, but it wasn't a monumental task to move to something else. I mean, I own a video company and a lot of our video was predicated on like, hey, in-person video shoots. But we had developed and worked with a partner for remote technology 
so that we could be doing video shoots over webcams and iPhones. And guess what? March of last year, April of last year, all of a sudden the demand for our remote video like went through the roof. We were as busy as we were at any point in our history. In fact, we had our best three months of our company's history, April, May, and June, in the middle of a pandemic because we were agile and we were prepared for those things. The fundamentals of creating video didn't change. It's just that the way we captured it changed and we were ready for it. So we, we count ourselves fortunate. But I also think we were prepared. Well, you're prepared. You're not caught up and it has to be this way. Like you said, yeah. the thesis is there, but you all probably saw it as what opportunities exist at this point? What can we do that allows us to think differently? I, I was talking to someone the other day and they're a chef and their businesses in catering large events from weddings to corporate to smaller events and dinners. And it's like, well, that didn't work anymore for a while. And who knows how long that's going to be? Well, we're talking using that word pivot. What were they thinking about during this time? Well, they had thought, well, what about the meal plan industry? What about local to Charlotte? Think about all the different families you drive around. You're like, there's people everywhere. Okay, well, they're still eating and they want to eat at home and they want to eat healthy meals and they're thinking about it differently. Well, their meal planning business was born. And so they saw this opportunity. The fundamental is we make, I don't know what exactly what it would be, but they're really good cooks, right? They can prepare a meal better than the average family can. So how can we get our meals inside of their homes using the capabilities, the kitchen that we have to do this? Oh, let's build this thing out. That could ultimately become their biggest driving force for themselves to build their business and create revenue. And there's a lot of different tactics and tools that they can use. And I'm sure one of them would be using Facebook, right? So taking that example, they could get on Facebook and they could start finding people, right? And you could help us out. Because I think what I want to see is what are like some talk about fundamentals, what are some basic ways people can get started to say, I just want to test this out. I want to do some Facebook advertising. I want to get in front of people and I just want to test it out to see if this can even work. So if I can get in front of people who have kids that maybe both parents work, but they're into food and they're following perhaps food bloggers on Facebook, can we get in front of them to then they would say, oh, wow, I didn't know this is a local business and they're a chef and, or they're a chef company and all those things and they create great meals. Facebook advertising would obviously be a place that people are spending time. Do you see that? Are you working at the fundamental levels or go down that path of like that idea or similar idea of how you would work with someone along those lines? Yeah, and that's a great example. So what hasn't changed with Facebook is your ability to target at that local level. Yeah, so think of yourself of a restaurant and you go, hey, I know people within five miles. If you're thinking about at-home delivery or come pick up and bring the food home, you want to be within five miles or so. So, I mean, you can literally plop a, a chart in Facebook, say, hey, give me five miles around my restaurant location. And then it's really just about benefit. Like, hey, number one, we're still open. Number two, we're safe. Like, those are things you're going to have. But you got to be the benefit here. Like, five-star home-cooked meals. Parents are still working. They probably want to get out of the house. You know, everybody's kind of piled up on each other. So it's absolutely a way to connect. And it comes down to, do I know where my target customers are? In this case, it's pretty easy. It's, hey, people within five miles. And then go ahead and tack on some things like, yeah, maybe they watch Food Network. Maybe they're college grads. Maybe they're parents. Those are still things that Facebook has inside of their right. algorithm. And you put a basic offer in front of them. Is your first offer going to work? Maybe, maybe not. You keep trying different angles, right? So that's the fundamental story there. So 
yeah, I mean, a local restaurant close to us that we love to go to during the pandemic kind of retooled their whole parking lot, turned it into like a food delivery service. And they offered family packs. And it was real easy. Like, hey, family of four, it's 100 bucks, 25 things. You still get an app, you get a meal, you get dessert, and pick a favorite bottle of wine. 100 bucks out the door, boom. Like, there's an offer, right? It's like, yeah, we like to cook at home, but we also want to support our restaurant that we love. We want them to be open when the pandemic's over. And we know their food is great. All right. And here's a value offer. Usually this would cost us $200 to go out to eat as a family here, a hundred bucks out the door with like all this stuff. So yeah. And they were heavily involved on Facebook. I saw a lot of businesses kind of pour in the weird thing last year. No, it's not weird, but for about three, four weeks, everybody left. And so like all the smart advertisers like swept in and like took over. It was cheap. It was back to 2012 in terms of prices. So yeah, I really took note of people, at least on my local level, that just stepped up their game during the pandemic and said, hey, we're going to take advantage of low ad prices and we're going to gobble up market share and do what we can to survive and thrive in this climate. How much of it are you seeing? And obviously, because you talked about there's some lead generation in there where someone's putting the ad out there, they click on it, they buy the product, they buy the service, whatever that might be. A lot of it, I would imagine too, you're looking at is from a branding standpoint, just even being known that, well, this restaurant exists and oh, wow, they're whatever, saying a good story or this looks interesting or what a great picture of this this meal. This is something we're going to have to have without asking yet for the sale. Are you seeing a lot of that? Are you seeing the opportunity just from a branding standpoint on Facebook? Yeah. Branding is kind of a dirty word in the direct marketing space. But what it really means to me is keeping up communication or conversation with the marketplace. The way to do that, in my opinion, is through content. So another thing the restaurants, a couple of restaurants around here did was they posted recipes. Like, here's our famous whatever soup that we typically serve on Thursday nights. And here's the recipe. I did see that, which is kind of a value-based thing. So part of your strategy, whether you're in a pandemic or not, is you want to put content in front of people. Because quite frankly, what your job is to remind people that you're there. I mean, if you think about a restaurant or another local business, Half your job is reminding people that you're still open, that you're still there. And part of providing value is not always offering them a discount. Sometimes it's offering them something where you have no reasonable expectation of money being handed to you at that time. But it builds up your brand, it builds up your credibility, and it builds up rapport with your marketplace. So we talk a lot in the book about video strategies and article strategies. If you're a person of influence, if you're a service provider, a consultant, a coach, it goes a long way to use video and written content to connect with the marketplace, demonstrate your credibility, demonstrate your expertise, build them up and educate them, and then move them towards the higher levels of engagement with you as you raise your level of trust with them. Yeah, it's interesting that you use the restaurant giving out recipes because so much has been talked about. Well, you can't give it away. If you give it away, then they're <laughs> going to have the recipe and yeah, you can make it and they don't need you. But as we all know, they can't. There's just something that the person who's a specialist at it that just knows how to cook it in the right time and the right ingredients and the way they do it and where they buy it, you just can't replicate it. My mother-in-law is an interior designer. And if she gave the guidebook of how to do interior design, I still wouldn't be able to figure it out. I still wouldn't be able to do it. You still have to pay someone and find someone. If you want that level of service, you have to go out and do it. So you can give it away because it's like, here, I will give it away. And if that one person is the DIYer, then let them do it. They're never going to come to your restaurant because they just want to practice at home anyway. That's great. But there are other people are going to come out. 
Yeah. It, well, think about writing a book. So, I mean, literally, I put everything I know about Facebook advertising in the book, right? right? And yeah. so I have different levels of service that I'm trying to kind of offer value to. So it's definitely written for the do-it-yourselfer, right? Yeah. Somebody who's like, I want to get this book. They open it up and they figure out how to do something. Like, yeah. I love that. Okay. Yeah. It costs you 20 bucks. Like, that's amazing. Okay. There's nothing that I'm holding back where it's like, I'm going to leave that out of the book because I need them to come to me. Like, there's no need to do that because here's what else happens. Within weeks after publishing this thing, what happens? Well, people reach out. I want more. So we have a $2,000 course that is like the book and it's everything expanded. So here's like screenshots and screen shares and like, we're going to go in depth. You're going to yeah. go over my shoulder and see how to do this. Yeah. So that's another service offering for do-it-yourselfers. And then there's the people that are like, hey, Bob, I'd like to buy some coaching from you. I'd like to buy some consulting and I could charge high fees for that. So the book does that. All right. I gave value to the marketplace and each person is going to take different things from it, from the budget conscious, do it yourselfer. I'm going to learn how to do in the book to those that, Hey, I want to buy speed. I don't have time to do this myself. You must be the expert. So may I hire you to do this? That's the value of that. So any person who is putting content and value out to the marketplace can absolutely use that strategy because look, information is essentially free. Information marketing back in the 2000s, like everything was hidden, right? All the good stuff was hidden behind a paywall. Well, everything is essentially open, right? There's no secrets. What people are looking for these days is speed and expertise. And there's people that will invest in your speed and expertise because they don't want to do certain things themselves. So I don't see any value in holding things back. What people really want is you. And they may want to make that great meal at home today. But what they really want is to go to your restaurant right. and have you cook it for them yes. because they can't quite replicate all that experience and all that. I think they say they put the love into it, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. It's just not the same. But again, I guess it's my personality. It's like I'm willing to give because I know I'm going to get back in spades. Yeah. Well, you can use go right to that 80 20 principle too. Yeah. There's going to be, if there's 10 people, perhaps two of them are never going to buy from you, right? Yeah. They're going to be on the other side of it and that's okay. And, yeah. and they want to be the DIY. Well, then give that to them. But where'd you learn yeah. this recipe from this restaurant over here? And that person now is going to go there. So it opens the door. Use the word secrets, which is interesting because <laughs> we talk about Facebook, we talk about privacy. There's a lot of news out there. It's like just pick a day and there's another news story. And there's been, a, you know, whether it was hacks or, where's my data going? And people got off of Facebook. It's interesting because I look at it from both sides. Obviously, I spend time there from a business side. <laughs> I'm in some groups. I see the creativity that's going on with a lot of these groups. I absolutely see the spam that exists in there. I see the spammy advertising. I see there's just all sorts of things. I see the negativity that you get if someone's going to be in there and get lost into what everyone else that they know is doing and they're doing it better than them or they're on better vacations. And there's no doubt there's all of that mixed into it. And we can spend an entire series, an hour, <laughs> you know, to trying yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. But when it comes to Facebook advertising and privacy and all of this, definitely people are obviously still spending a lot of time even when people say they're not doing it because there's a lot of people, right? So even right. if half of them are not doing it, the other half are doing it. How have you managed or what do you see right now, perhaps today going forward here and how far can we go ahead of ourselves? Probably maybe a week or two, but like, <laughs> what do we see with Facebook right now? Because people are anti-Facebook, but like I just said, people are also, that's where I, they spend most of their time when they get onto their phone or their computer. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny. I think sometimes what people say and what people do are two different things. <laughs> Facebook's usage is still off the charts. Me personally, like, yeah, I make a living helping people advertise in Facebook. I've spent very little time in Facebook. I know what Facebook does kind of from a psychological perspective. Everything they do is wired to get you to stay engaged with the app. And it's very easy even for a smart guy like you and me to lose 30 minutes at a time inside of Facebook, right? When we should be doing something else productive. It's a hypnotic thing. So everything has value and everything has, I guess, some negatives with it. Facebook itself is still one of the most powerful media to reach people. If you're in business, you need to reach people, then you should be advertising on Facebook. And from what I can remember, every business does business with people. So therefore, you should be there. Now, the way you use it is going to differ from business to business, but it's where people hang out. It's one of the most used applications still. And for advertisers, they know that the age is kind of skewing like older who have more money, right? Is older people, right? So like if that's your marketplace and where you sell to, then yeah, you should absolutely be there. Now, yeah, there's TikTok now, there's Snapchat, there's still Google advertising, there's Amazon ads. Like you have to really determine like what's the best place to reach my audience and figure out what's the best way to communicate with them. So for me, yeah, there's a lot of negativity around Facebook, privacy issues and things like that. But it's still a media there's there's billions of people connected to it every day. We got to figure out how to use it. Otherwise, we're not going to be in business very long. Yeah. Facebook groups have become pretty big. And I mentioned that a little bit ago because Mm -hmm. they want you to come to their platform and stay in their platform. And if you're engaging with other people and it's done in a genuine way about an interest that you and I are both Chicago Blackhawks, right? We can have a Chicago Blackhawks group and we go in there and make our comments about the game or about the offseason or who knows, right? When's the next contract for Patrick Kinko? Any of those things. We stay in the platform and then advertisements can be shown to us while we're there and we're showing our interest. And, and I've seen both sides of it. I want you to know that, for example, some people think this way. I'm from Buffalo. I'm a Buffalo Sabres fan. I like eating out. I like these types of things. Well, therefore, then the advertisements will be more catered to me. I also know people that I don't want you to know any of those things. I don't care if the advertisements don't match up with what I'm looking at because I'm trying to stay far away from that. But I think there's enough people on that first side of things, right? That do want that and that are spending time in their groups because it's like, no, I actually have created my Facebook experience to be a good experience for me. I understand it's not a great experience for everybody. I always say you control your feed. If this person is an annoyance or if this business is like, get it out of there. Try your best to just remove it. It's going to find its way to you. So you'd have to, you know, that's a lot of things that people have to work on themselves and we all have to do it. But Facebook groups, I think, in many ways, has done a really good job of getting people there. It's just, where do you fall in line with being willing to say, I want you to gear the right advertisements to me? Because in order to do that, I have to give up a lot of my privacy. Well, I mean, your behavior really builds your newsfeed for you and builds your advertising profile. It's not just what you do inside of Facebook. It's what you do off Facebook. I mean... The Facebook pixel, which is kind of at the center of the controversy right now between Apple and Facebook, essentially tracks your browsing behavior. Google tracks all this. Amazon tracks all this. Amazon puts trackers in your house and calls it Alexa. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like your behavior determines your advertising profile. So Facebook is not alone in being evil or mysterious about this. Is that your behavior essentially reinforces what you see. 
So Facebook knows if you're a golfer or Facebook knows if you're a conservative or a liberal. Facebook knows kind of everything about you, but so does Google and so does Amazon. So yeah, do you want people to give you advertisements that you don't want? Like if you're a liberal, if you lean liberal on the politics side, do you want to see ads from conservative candidates during political season? No. You appreciate the fact that Facebook knows that you're liberal and will only show you ads from liberal candidates. That's a service to me as a user. So what Facebook's primary concern is that the user experience is number one. Like the users are valued above everything else. Because when the users have good experiences, they spend time there and they maintain their session length. Once users are having bad experiences, they leave. And when they leave, it drops their revenue. Okay, so Facebook is concerned about advertisers not getting good data and showing untargeted ads to its users, which would force them to have a bad experience and leave the platform. Yeah, That's the heart of why Facebook is running ads in newspapers and running a full-out PR blitz. And they're trying to convince people that it's a service to you for us to track you. All right? Now, again, you got to step back and go, all right, it's still creepy that they know all this stuff. You got to put your user head and go, it's creepy that how much they know. But on the fact, we become accustomed to like seeing stuff that we really like in our feed. So when that happens, when they get rid of that, and we start to see things that we don't like, we're going to start yelling at Facebook. And Facebook knows this. Like, why are you showing me ads for this? I don't like this. Why are you showing me this? That's what Facebook's worried about. Yeah. Social dilemma. You had me thinking about Netflix because when you watch a show and the show ends, they'll say, what's something similar? Or here's something you might like based on your watching interest. So they're all doing it. Like you said, the social dilemma comes out and you talk about youth sports. You coach 15 and 16-year-olds. You see, I'm sure, when there's downtime, before practice, after practice, what's the first thing that they do, right? They're going for their phone. And it's not just 15 and 16-year-olds, right? This runs the gamut. Anyone has got a device. And, and we don't know what that means. Like Maybe that's the future. And that it is the future. It's the current day. It's what's happening. But there's no doubt there's a lot of consumption going on within these platforms. And these platforms are highly addictive. What was your reaction to the Social Dilemma documentary? It basically validated what I knew. I didn't find it all too concerning because I kind of know what's going on. I think my parents were told, don't let your kids watch so much TV. And I think you and I turned out okay. I think it's just going to become part of who we are. What concerns me from that is that when you are programming machine and the programmers start losing control of what the machine is doing, that's the scary part. It's what they don't know about what their algorithm is doing. And I think the concerning part of the Social Dilemma documentary was the programmers who control the machine essentially don't have control over the machine. And that's where we have to start putting some safeguards in place. What it means, though, is that for parents and for others who are watching over our youth, is it essentially comes down to, okay, how are you allowing these devices to manage your household? So I think it comes down to a social, yeah, we can blame these companies, but we've asked for it. So what controls are you going to put in place in your household to manage that? And what level of concern do you have? So I don't know. I don't think it's a pure technology play. I think it's a social issue. All right. And I I think they aptly named that documentary. I don't have answers for it, but from my perspective, 
I think having that ability to target is good for the user in many ways with the fact that I know that there's some poison that comes with that. Yeah. There's a lot of awareness, I think, that an individual myself would have to have for someone to make the decision to say, I want to get off Facebook because I don't like the way I behave after I'm on it or what I think about. That's very difficult, right? And that's like you mentioned before, I was getting too emotional on the basketball court. You have this awareness and that's very difficult to get to those situations to feel a certain way. That's mental health, right? That's getting into all of that. It's just that not everyone's going to be capable of doing it yet. And that's not a bad thing because everyone's going down these paths. It's just the fact that we're talking about it, the fact that there's documentaries about that. I think, like you said, I don't know if there's an answer. The technology moves so fast, right? I've heard this like, I'm not a scientist by any stretch, right? But the human brain has only evolved so much over the many years <laughs> where technology is exponentially growing per second, right? And so and we can't keep up with it. We're trying to match it and we can't match it. So what do we do with it? Well, it's just being aware of it and to know when to turn it off. And on the other side, it is amazing because you can come across content and stories and like, sometimes it's weird for me to say because I was in Buffalo, but I was there. Michael Jordan was very young and just before they were good, I became a Bulls fan, right? I started why and it was just a lot of fun for me. And I got to read the USA Today to find out the transaction history. WGN was available so I can catch some games. But like today, it doesn't matter where you live. You can be a fan of any team anywhere. But back then, it was very difficult. Like if you were in LA to become a Chicago White Sox fan would be difficult because you don't get to see the games. There's certain teams like the Atlanta Braves, right? Because they had TBS and Chicago Cubs, WGN. So anyway, what you have access to is just stories all over the place. And then you can curate it to yourself or find people that curate it for you. So I think there's like, there's this such a positive, but then there is a negative. But I think that negative gets to awareness. And so how do we help other people do it? And we don't want to be a cause for other people to have problems by creating ads that are not necessarily suited for those people, that you're working with the right people, that you're helping them out. Because like you said, advertisements aren't bad if they're not designed to do something to trick the other person on the other end of it. Like, I didn't even know I bought that product. How did that just happen? You know what I mean? Well, the biggest difference between our kids' generations and ours is that we had to go seek out content. Now content comes to us. And that's the essential difference right now is that we had to go curate our own content. We had to go to the library. We had to go to the television. We had limited numbers of channels. We had to go get a newspaper. We had to be intentional about what content we went and curated and read and consumed. Now it's pushed to us. And there's so much of it. I mean, think of the amount of information that was available to us and the amount of information that's available to our kids. It demands that a machine helps curate it because we couldn't possibly keep up with all the content. <laughs> right. So the marketplace actually demands efficiency. And so you have to build machines to sort and sift all that content that's being pushed at us. Again, we're talking a double-edged sword here. We need machines and algorithms to curate content because we can't possibly manage if we didn't. Yeah. Do you ever have situations in the past, maybe this year or whatever, with kids on your basketball team, as an example, to where maybe they're not focused, let's say, on their game, right? They need to work on their jump shot. And yet, instead of working on their jump shot, they're working on the next show that they're binge watching. And have you had to have a conversation with any kids, maybe it's your own kids, to have that it's not to say that's bad, but to maybe have that balance. Have you had a situation like that? Not too often. I think the conversation that I'm having with kids now is the same I was having 20 years ago when I was first coaching high school was, 
you got to get your homework done. You're a student athlete. There's things that you got to take care of. I'm still having the same conversations with my team these days. We do talk about, though, being careful with social media, like what you post as an athlete, if you have plans on playing at the next level. So you went into my social media feed and kind of saw what I was all about. Now, if I had a lot of crap in there, you might have gone, well, wait a minute, do I really want to talk to this guy in my <laughs> right, podcast? Right. We let them say that, hey, college coaches and college administrators will look at all your social media posts and determine if you're a good fit for their team or for the university. So there's a definite penalty for being undisciplined in social media from that perspective. In terms of spending time and things like that, again, you and I like spend hours in front of the television and those kinds of things. And so we just have a different fight as parents these yeah. days. But no, yeah, think... it's mostly about responsible use of social media is what we have to talk about as coaches. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you had alluded to us earlier, the fundamentals haven't changed. The philosophy hasn't changed. That's all I look like. There could be a book that was written in the 1960s that could still be, yeah, some things have changed with it. But come on, we can be smart enough to look around those things and say, this is so applicable today. And sometimes if that is that evergreen, that it could last 60 years or however, 10 years or whatever that might be, maybe that is stood the test of time and we can learn a lot from it. No different than the philosophies of parenting. It's just new obstacles. But yeah, it was like Elvis Presley was the devil to so many parents back in the day. And now if you turn on the TV or pick up your phone, the things that you might be watching would make Elvis Presley look very PG rated. <laughs> yeah, I had to laugh. We had an assembly where they told us the evils of rock music and yeah. John Mellencamp was one of the examples. Uh, and I'm like, are you flipping kidding me? Yeah. Like, I love John Mellencamp. It's just funny. Yeah, right? no, it absolutely is. We've thrown the word content around, obviously, when everyone understands what we're talking about. And here we are. And I, one of the other things I noticed is you've been on a lot of podcasts. You're spending a lot of time putting your story out there, sharing this, because you realize that there could be someone that hears it. Maybe I hear it. Maybe my business partner, you know, one person. It doesn't take much. And all of a sudden, you're out there and, and Perry Marshall was on it. He's like, it's a lot easier when people hear about you and they reach out to you as opposed to you trying to reach out to them. The sale is going to happen much faster or there's just a connection in general. When you started appearing on podcasts and you started putting yourself out there, why? Like, did I just say it for you? I mean, what has been the experience for you of appearing on podcasts? Well, I think if you put yourself out there as an expert, you have a responsibility to get your message out. I think one thing that surprises authors, and a lot of people write books, a lot of people want to write books, but I think what surprises people who get a book done is how little your publisher does to like get the word out about your book. You put all this time into getting a book done, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now what do I do? Yeah. So you really have a responsibility because there's so much content being pushed out. You have to become part of that stream of content and make sure that, hey, you got to kind of be seen everywhere. So it's kind of the philosophy of Facebook advertising, kind of be seen as many ways as you possibly can. I happen to believe that podcasts and interviews are a way to really kind of focus your expertise and demonstrate. So conversation with you and conversations with others allow people to like slow down for a minute, even if they're watching us at double speed, which is probably what they do, right? They can still determine like, hey, Bob kind of knows what he's talking about. I want to pick up his book. Or hey, I read his book and now I just heard him on this podcast. Like I should really invest in his training. Or Bob's probably the guy that I need to talk to to turn my Facebook account around. So it's my responsibility to like, I can write a book and I can sit back and go, I did that. But if I'm going to make an impact, I've got to push. I've got to get my word out. So yeah, part of it is, yeah, it's a grind to do interviews. I enjoy talking, 
All right. It's not like I'm like gritting my teeth doing these. I enjoy conversation. So part of that is, yeah, I chose a method that works for me, but I'm doing LinkedIn prospecting. I'm running some paid ads. I'm doing some YouTube stuff. So I'm taking responsibility for what's been given to me. And if I want to share my information, I have to run strategies that will make sure that it gets seen. It's my responsibility. Yeah. I think that's awesome how you say it's your responsibility to put it out there. And I mean, personally, like I learn a lot from it. Like I get to have a conversation with you. And I've said this many times. If no one listens to it, selfishly speaking, (laughs) I got to learn from it. My team gets to listen to it. Yeah. Ultimately, there will be other people that hear it. And to me, that's fascinating to say, I can bring this conversation to someone else and maybe they can take something from it. Maybe it's a client, maybe it's a friend, family member, who knows? But in those stories too, and in those conversations, you learn a lot. You learn about other people and ways to, uh, things I can discover. I never thought of it that way. And I can go kind of down that path a little bit. And no, I agree with you. There's so much that can come from those conversations. And it's also like, because I could go listen to someone appear on a podcast and this isn't bad and they can talk about their book. They can almost summarize their book. And that's great, right? And then I can go more in depth if I want to continue reading that book. But that person that wrote it, you wrote this book, there's so much else that's out there. There's depths that you couldn't even gone into in that book, perhaps, unless it was a memoir. Those introspective conversations that we try to have, that we get to have with someone like yourself, I think that allows for anyone that will listen to it to understand more about how they think about the way things are, about in and around their business and their industry and how they got there, maybe not necessarily origin stories, although that could be a part of it too. That's a fascination to say, wow, this is someone that I could spend some time with. We had someone that we did a podcast with and a conversation ended up being 90 minutes long and he was done and he loved the conversation. He came out, he's like, I think that podcast is too long. And a business partner goes to him, he's like, do you realize that you're asking people to spend, this is the business that they're in, he works with CEOs and they spend a day per month in a room from eight o'clock to four o'clock a day. So if they can't handle you for 90 minutes, I don't think they're gonna handle you for a full day. And they're spending thousands of dollars with you. So if that's too much, and, and then it's like, well, can this person even carry a conversation? Because we always hear the highlights. You talked about politics before. I don't want to hear a two-minute clip with an individual. I don't want to hear the canned response. They're all doing right. it, right? I get it. Right. But I want to hear them talk for 90 minutes or 60 minutes about a yeah. topic and get shooken a little bit and have to go in different directions. They didn't see it coming with... Maybe they weren't prepared for that interview. That's who they are. But we get to hear those conversations. I mean, we make mistakes. We have this conversation. I've stuttered this, that, and the other. That's okay. That's just raw... Right. Conversation. Yeah, natural. Yeah. Obviously, with our video company, we do a lot of clips. They're highly edited for those purposes. But there's something to be said about long-form conversations that allow you to really go in depth with somebody. So Well, it allows you to think about it too, right? Yeah. And allows you... We pull out clips. So there might be a clip that you talked about something. Let's say we wanted to talk about the social dilemma. What was his reaction to it? And you talked about it for two minutes. We can pull that clip and put that out there. And it's just about that specific topic or it becomes a blog post. And that's the other thing is that long-form conversation or whatever the form was can become something smaller, chunk it down. Because I get that too. Some people just want the short snippet. So we've definitely talked about the book and we've bounced all around it as well. Who's the book for? Books for anyone who's really using Facebook advertising or wants to. So it's from the do-it-yourselfer who is managing their own accounts. I would say it's also for business owners who either are going to have somebody in-house do it or hire somebody. They need to know the strategies. So if you're doing it yourself, you definitely want to have the book. If you're hiring somebody, I want you to know whether or not the person who's doing your ads for you is doing a good job. And so the book is going to be for that. 
you can skip over some of the procedural stuff if you're going to hire out, but I need you to know the strategies and why we do what we do. One of the things I like is when I talk with a business owner and brings on their Facebook person and they say, Hey, Bob, we're doing the video strategy that you mentioned in chapter four. Like, can we make sure we're doing that right? And we work through the mechanics of those things. So I really like that. I mean, it's for anybody that wants to be in Facebook advertising, wants to do it right and be profitable out of the gate. Yeah. And I think too, once you have that trusted person, maybe they've been there for a long time or the group that you're working with that they could be gifted this book. This is the book that they can read. You have this resource and you have this philosophy, this theory that you want to work on as a team to say, this is what we want to at least understand it and then go from there. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, you can get the book on Amazon. I'm sure you can get it in other places as well. Is it an ebook, right? Yeah, there's a Kindle version. Okay. Kindle version with a paperback copy. I do have a resource site if people want some additional insight, ultimatefb.com. You can go there and check out some interviews with some of the other people that contributed to the book. I had conversations with them just like you and I are. So it's a place to get the book, also get some additional insight about what's in the book. So that's ultimatefb.com. Yeah. And the book's The Ultimate Guide to Facebook Advertising, Edition 4, right? Yep. Bob, yep. no, it's been great. It's been great to, like I said before, to talk around all these topics, to hear the fundamentals, to pair it with Perry Marshall's on the podcast, to talk about the <laughs> 80-20 principle. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, right? The philosophy you have on the basketball court and then you have in business and him recognizing it, the way you spoke about it was very similar. I could have imagined him saying that after having that long conversation yeah, I had with right. him. It's been a right. lot of fun and, and talking sports and continue to stay in touch. I mean, we work with a lot of business owners and and that's it. I think every entrepreneur that's willing should have their own content platform. I talk about it a lot. I believe in it. It's what we did. And then I yeah. think, what does that mean? Well, it's different for everybody. That content platform could be everything and anything. It would also be, hey, I just want to have a Facebook business group. And I want yeah. to talk about these things. And I want to put some ads and I want to meet new people. Because, hey, what's a way to meet people? Well, you can get on Facebook and you can run ads and put in front of them. And next thing you know, you're having a conversation with them. And if anything, I mean, there's, we've learned a lot during this pandemic. And, but what's interesting is to have this type of conversation. People are willing to get online more than ever to have human interaction. Maybe we can't meet face-to-face, but we can have a Zoom call. We can have pick a platform. Yep. The technology is endless, right? So yep. the conversations are out there to be had. And it's just, how can we meet new people? Because I think Facebook and all these other platforms, what they have done is they've given us the ability to talk to people who otherwise wouldn't been able to have a conversation with. And and I think podcasting does that as well. So I appreciate what all of that has brought today to us to have this conversation to get meet an awesome person like you doing good things. So thank you. One of my favorite things about CadSource is the opportunity to chat with amazing business leaders and entrepreneurs. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn or visit us at cadsource.com. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, Entrepreneur Perspectives, building and protecting your business one podcast at a time. This episode exists because of CadSource. CadSource is your content team. You know how many business leaders need help communicating their story? That's what we do. Content strategy, creation, and distribution for business leaders. This provides opportunities, relationships, and a platform for you and your business. Why do we do this? Because at CadSource, we exist to help you create and share amazing content. And yes, you should have a podcast. We'll help you. Learn more by visiting kezcontent.com.